My name is Rachel Moses and I am Multimedia Editor for Thorax BMG. You are listening to our Thorax podcast series. I'm joined today by Professor Alvin Ng, who is Clinical Program Head for Respiratory and Cardiovascular Medicine at Macquarie University, New South Wales, Australia. And he's going to be talking to us about his paper entitled COVID-19 in the Footsteps of Ernest Shackleton, about to be published in Thorax BMG. Welcome, Alvin. Thank you, Rachel. So I've been very fortunate enough to read this manuscript and wow, what a read it is. It's about the incidence of COVID-19 on an expedition ship on an Antarctic cruise. So can you just start by telling us how a respiratory physician ends up on an Antarctic cruise in March? Although I'm I'm a respiratory physician, I'm also a very keen photographer. And the uh, lure of Antarctica has always appealed to me, both from the point of view of its landscapes, its remoteness, as well as its wildlife. So approximately uh, two years ago, I met a Australian photographer by the name of Peter Eastway, who talked to me about uh, his uh, expeditions to Antarctica and about the photographic sort of wonders there. And he told me that uh, in March of this year, he was undertaking another expedition um, entitled In the Footsteps of Ernest Shackleton. And the plan was for the actual cruise ship to follow uh, Ernest Shackleton's journey in uh, 1915 um, to Antarctica, subsequently to Elephant Island, and then to South Georgia, as Shackleton did. And Shackleton, as most of your listeners will know, uh, was a British explorer who... uh, is renowned for his story of survival and leadership of 28 men. So uh, when Peter uh, invited me to join his expedition, I uh, didn't hesitate. And that's how I came on uh, to be on that expedition ship. Fabulous. So what I'm about to say next is kind of key to this paper. So the ship departed in mid-March this year, 2020. And that was after the global COVID-19 pandemic was declared by the World Health Organization. So in preparation and understanding of that, all passengers, so all 128 passengers and nearly 100 crew were screened for COVID-19 symptoms. That included body temperature being checked, any signs of symptoms, and also making sure they had no travel to the most prevalent countries of the time, like China, Hong Kong, etc. They also had multiple infection control strategies in place, hand hygiene stations, hand sanitizers and isolation procedures if anyone could become febrile or symptomatic. So essentially everyone that went on that ship was COVID free and what could go wrong? So can you just tell us a little bit about what happened next? Well, naively, we probably agree with you. We thought that because everybody had been screened prior to boarding uh, with temperature and health checks by physicians, and also the fact that anybody that had travelled through the pandemic countries that were most affected at the time, including uh, China, uh, South Korea, Japan, Iran, Italy, they were, if they had travelled through the three weeks before, they weren't allowed aboard. So we thought we were a, a fairly uh, safe cruise, although in the midst of a global pandemic, which was just declared two or three days ago, some of us still had reservations. But uh, after the thorough screening initially, we thought we were a low risk boat and we're going to an area of the world which had not been exposed to COVID previously. So we thought that we were a pretty safe boat and for the first eight days it was, uh, it was wonderful. I mean, uh, we enjoyed the, the wildlife, we enjoyed the um, um, sailing uh, even across the Drake Passage into Antarctica uh, and we enjoyed the photography. We had kayakers who enjoyed kayaking, we had mountaineers, so we had a range of expedition activities and we were uh, virtually in heaven uh, for the first eight days. However, um, reality struck on the eighth day when a passenger developed a fever 
and it sort of snowballed from there. So you have essentially a group of people who are in a confined space, if you like, um, no one knew coming on the ship, who were asymptomatic, who had no symptoms, and then suddenly people start to become unwell. You immediately um, instigate isolation protocols. Um, and despite that, COVID, from I understand from the paper, started to take over the ship in quite a rapid fashion. Is that right? Yes, yeah, so um, for the first eight days, I mean, there were certain uh, appropriate procedures undertaken. There was hand sanitizer stationed throughout the boat. Um, there was hand sanitizer and washing hand stations before going into the uh, dining area. But there was no social isolation that we was, you know, were able to, uh, there was no 1.5 metre rule sort of uh, imposed. Uh, we met in the function room at the end of the day for debriefing um, and there was no social isolation there. Um, and the meals, although the evening meals were served, the uh, breakfast and lunch were buffet. So there were, looking back, there are potential sort of uh, issues with how a COVID-19 could have spread uh, if there was a infected sort of passenger or crew on board. So you're quite right, from day eight after the first fever, it rapidly escalated. And over the next three or four days, uh, approximately another 12 passengers and crew became sick with, uh, with fever. Uh, and uh, eventually uh, we had to evacuate a total of eight people off the boat for, for medical attention. So uh, once the first fever uh, was established, um, we had to make a lot of uh, changes in our route, uh, changes in planning, uh, because by that time a lot of the borders had been closed. Um, and uh, we ended up in uh, uh, Uruguay, just anchored off Montevideo, because that was the only South American port that was open uh, at that time. Wow, um, incredible. So. Looking at the actual statistics from the paper, if the 217 passengers and crew on board, 128 of those went on to be tested positive for COVID-19. That's 59% of the overall ship when the first enters essentially were asymptomatic. That's quite a significant number, isn't it? Yeah, that's, um, it is a significant number, and I think uh, part of the reason for publishing the paper uh, is it highlights uh, in a sort of isolated environment, which is what our cruise ship was for uh, um, 28 days, uh, apart from uh, uh, medical staff that was in full PPE, we had no contact with any other human being. Um, and as a result, it's a hermetically sealed type environment. And it just goes to show that within two and a half weeks, um, 59% of the uh, uh, people on board uh, developed uh, COVID-19, uh, how quickly um, something like COVID can spread uh, despite cabin isolation. We're isolating our cabins on day eight, um, yet um, uh, over the next sort of uh, two and a half weeks, since uh, patients became uh, progressively uh, unwell um, and also we had people presenting, uh, um, I feel, after... Um, the incubation period that would be enforced by cabin isolation, which means that after cabin isolation, they develop symptoms between 14 to 20 days after isolation, suggesting that they acquired the infection after isolation, not prior to isolation. Again, that's an incredible finding. And I suppose the second thing that really jumped out at me here is of the 128 passengers and crew that were tested positive, 81% of those people were asymptomatic. So that's, I suppose, the crux of our paper in that uh, um, the two points we wanted to sort of highlight was one, how quickly COVID-19 could spread through a isolated uh, 
uh, environment in a ship, even with cabin isolation. Uh, and secondly, the high percentage of uh, passengers and crew who were COVID-19 positive um, that were asymptomatic. And this has significant implications about uh, um, the role of screening of patients and what we do with uh, passengers after they disembark. Because, I mean, if you don't monitor those passengers after disembark, the asymptomatic COVID positive uh, um, sort of uh, passengers would be the potential source of community transmission um, within the general sort of uh, population. Absolutely. And this just doesn't have implications in my mind for cruise ship travel. This has implications for travel full stop especially across borders, international travels, flight, air travels. And one of the challenges is, as a nation, we are doing things differently. Sure, certainly in the UK, you know, you just have to look at our headlines to understand that we're not following other, you know, government and countries' um, same advice and pathways. So, so what comments do you have on that? Is this going to affect travel restrictions and screening? The travel? Uh, look, I think that the um, emphasis must be on testing. So um, in Australia, we're fortunate to have been uh, able to flatten the curve of uh, um, COVID-19 quite significantly. And uh, a number of things have helped, but the two major things I think is closing our borders, but also the mandatory uh, isolation of all returning travellers. So even if you have no symptoms, um, if you isolate for 14 days, um, you are basically potentially screening out the COVID positive sort of uh, uh, travellers who arrive and at least preventing them having community transmission uh, going forward. So I think that um, that's probably the two key sort of uh, strategies that's been successful, at least in Australia and New Zealand's uh, response to COVID-19 is the closing of borders, which is easier if you're uh, sort of an island, um, and, but also the mandatory isolation of uh, returning passengers. And I think that uh, this uh, papers would support that. I absolutely agree. Your personal account during the paper, I think the statistics that you have, the timelines that you have, and also the impact in terms of um, incidents, in terms of um, you know how unwell some of these people got as well, is, is really quite um, impactful. And how we use this message in medicine and as, as a public health message is really important. And I yeah. certainly advise anyone to read the paper in full. It's, it's incredible. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Can I just sort of end by thanking the Uruguayan government and the Uruguayan Ministry of Health uh, through their compassion and their humanity. They provide a centric corridor for us to uh, be uh, repatriated despite so many COVID positive uh, sort of passengers on board. So I'd like just to extend the sincere thanks to them. Absolutely. Thank you very much. So, many thanks for listening. There is a hyperlink at the bottom of this podcast to the Thorax BMJ website and the article. And please do leave any comment there or via our Twitter or Facebook page at Thorax BMJ. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rachel.